Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? Happy New Year to you. And some of you, I know that you're only here because you are praying for tomorrow night's game and you're trusting God in some way. And that's all right. That's fine. I got one Alabama fan in the room that I know about. Anybody else an Alabama fan in the room that you... So a couple. There's three or four. Anybody a Georgia fan tomorrow night? So here's, here's what I heard. I saw, I saw a map uh, they were showing on TV, and they said that here's all the people that are cheering for Alabama tomorrow night. It was pretty much just the state of Alabama. Um, and everybody else in America, I think, is cheering for Georgia. But uh, yeah, I'll be definitely cheering for Georgia uh, tomorrow night. So, hey, it's, it's a great year, or a great week to start our year off looking at this idea of divine direction. Pastor Trevor mentioned just a second ago, I'm, I'm really excited about this series. But as I was thinking about this series and, and preparing for it, I, I ran across some information about a guy named Warren Buffett. Many of you are familiar with him. Warren Buffett is currently the fourth richest man on the face of the earth. He's worth, uh, at the last Google search I did, he's worth over 84 billion with a B dollars, 84 billion dollars, fourth richest man on the face of the earth. Uh, But, you know, when I think of investors, I don't often think of people like Warren Buffett. I think of like slick back hair, flashy suit, you know, a little too smooth for their own good. Uh, But Warren Buffett is definitely not that guy. He he has lived in the same house his entire life, since 1958, I guess, in Nebraska. Every morning he goes and gets the same breakfast, two sausage patties from McDonald's for $2.61. That's just his routine. He's driven the same car for over 20 years, they say. Um, That's not the flashy investor type that I think of when I picture in my head an investor and somebody worth $80 billion dollars. But when Buffett talks about how he has acquired so much wealth, he really credits 90 plus percent of his wealth to 10 investments. He realized early on that he could not make hundreds of right decisions in the stock market. He just said, there's no way that I can do that. I can't make hundreds and hundreds of right decisions. And so he decided that he was going to research and research and research and really do his homework until he came to the closest thing that he could determine to be a safe bet or the best bet, and then he bet the farm on it. And so about 90% of his over $80 billion can be traced back to about 10 investments, 10 decisions. And when I think about that, I think about the fact that, man, that sounds crazy. And yet for all of us, if you think about your life, about 90%, and this is totally subjective, about 90% of your life and the things that are happening in your life can probably be traced back to about 10 decisions or so. Who you ended up marrying or not, where you went to school or not. Uh, Some of the things that you decided for your life, the trajectory of your life to open the business to not, to take that job or not, to move, to buy the thing, to not buy the thing. If you think about your life, and I'm not trying to intimidate you, scare you, or have you yell at me and go, no, that's not true. I can trace it back to 41 decisions. I've already done the math. That's not the point today. But the idea that it really is just a few decisions over the course of our life that have probably helped to determine much of the story, the narrative of our life. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the idea that we want to make right decisions. But the reality is, for a lot of us, we're not great decision makers. 
uh, I, I was asking one of my children who really suffers from decision anxiety as they were putting their Christmas list together. I was like, you know, what do you want? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if I want that thing or that thing. And I was like, hey, it's a wish list. Put them both on there. Like, no, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And I'm not really sure. And I'm like, do you struggle with decisions? They were like, yes and no. <laughs> Some of you won't really get that for a while, but... Um, you know, they say that this generation, this present generation, and for us as a church, we say we exist because generations matter. We value each generation as a generation that has value in its current form and also for those that are before it and after it. But the current generation, kind of the maybe 25 and down, they talk about that generation being a generation that really struggles with decision-making. And all the studies that have been done, I've read a bunch of them over the last few weeks, all of the studies that have been done, they've been trying to determine what it is about this generation that makes it so difficult for them to make decisions. And one of the primary things that they keep coming back to is the idea that perhaps they have more options than any other generation previous to it. You know, I, just to think about how this plays out, about a year ago, I was flying back from South America, and uh, it was one of the great flights that had, like, the in-flight entertainment option, and so I'm looking at the little TV screen in front of me, and I wanted to watch a comedy that had movies there, and so it had five choices. I picked one of those five and laughed my head off for two hours, and people thought I was crazy. But then when there's a random night where Corey and I are trying to decide what movie we want to watch and we open up Netflix and we scroll through there for like 35 minutes and we can't find anything even though it's suggesting things we like and it's based on ratings of things we've watched before. It's like after 35 minutes we're just close the computer or shut the TV off or we're like we're done with it, forget it, you know, because there's so many options available to us now. And so as we think about this series, as we're talking over the next few weeks about this idea of decision-making, today I just wanted us to jump into, you know, understanding how to make decisions in a, in a, in a better, more God-honoring way. And, and perhaps as a pastor, the number one question that I get, I've tried to think about it, and I know there are a lot of different questions I get, different things that people want to meet about but if you, if you summed all of those conversations up, some form or some fashion, the number one thing that people ask when they meet with me is, you know, what do you think God wants me to do? What do you think God wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? Maybe you're not familiar with that phrase, God's will, but for those that have been around the church for a while or been around faith for a little while, that's a phrase that we've kind of tagged to, like this is the plan of God for you. God's will is what you're supposed to do. It is the will. God that you do these things. That's a lot of the way that people have couched the will of God. And so what is it that God wants me to do? And for a lot of us, it's really paralyzed us because we're afraid if we make one decision that it eliminates other decisions that may have been the will of God. And so we're afraid to make the wrong decision. And so then not making a decision out of fear of making an imperfect decision is actually our decision, which is worse than just making an imperfect decision and keep on moving. But for most of us, we struggle with decision-making. Now, maybe you don't have the struggle with which socks to wear, which pants to wear, and some of you, maybe you do. But, you know, for a lot of us, we make decisions sometimes based on the wrong types of things. Anybody ever made a, a permanent type of decision based on temporary emotion? Nobody wants to raise their hand. A couple of you waved at me. I appreciate that, so I'm not along. Anybody ever made a hasty decision based on just an overwhelming sense of emotion? You ever said anything you regretted, done anything that you regretted, ever been in a fight because you kind of just lost your emotions in the spur of a moment? Anybody have a fight? Don't raise your hand. Anybody have a fight on the way to church this morning? Like you're just like, you shut up back there. We're going to love Jesus, and you're going to like it. And Nobody. But that's how... 
we do so often is we make decisions and we have conversations and we say things based off of emotions. So today we want to try to zero in on a few things that will help us make better decisions and really for today to understand the will of God for our lives. And we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures, just some individual scriptures in several different places. But the place that I want to start is in the book of Numbers. If you got a Bible, you want to flip there with me. Numbers is early in the Old Testament. This is a part of the early history of the children of Israel uh, as they are really forming in themselves a nation, as God is forming through them to become a nation. And so you had uh, the children of Israel, they were captured, they were in captivity. What we talked about a few minutes ago, Moses comes, he helps set them free, they're delivered, they go out, Moses eventually dies, and a generation dies along with him because they didn't honor God. Joshua takes over, Joshua leads them into the promised land, and as they are becoming a nation, we understand that what would happen is God was giving them instruction as to how they would know what they were supposed to do. And so to start this morning, what I really want to do is I want us to look at a verse of Scripture that my hope is will free you a little bit to understanding how God works and maybe what God wants out of you. Because as we look at divine direction, it really is, is based on this one idea. It comes from a book written by Pastor Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor out in Oklahoma and several other states with different campuses but he, he says this in the book that we read and kind of based this series off of. He says, the decisions that you make today determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. The decisions that you make today determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. And so, man, again, that puts so much gravity on the decisions that we make. But I want you to look at this, this scripture, Numbers chapter 27, verse 21. It says this, when the direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar the priest who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. And this is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. Everything they should do. The command of God here in Numbers chapter 27, verse 21, is that when you're trying to determine what you're supposed to do and what God wants you to do, Go to the priest, go to the, high, you know, go to the leader who will go to the priest, and the priest will take the sacred lot, and they will cast that lot and determine what should be done. And so it would be like if you're just trying to decide today, you're saying, listen, I, I'm dating somebody, you know, I'm thinking about getting engaged, but I just don't know if this is God's will. So you say, hey, what do you think I should do? And then me as the pastor, I would take the dice out of my desk, and I would roll the dice, and I'd go, yeah, that's it. That's what you should do right there. You should definitely ask her to marry you. That's, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here. The sacred lot would just be like rolling dice. And that's definitely not God's plan for you in all the decisions that you make. But there should be a freedom that comes from this in knowing that ultimately the decisions that we make, if they are ordained by God, if they're led by God, based on something else that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, that you don't have to fear making a bad decision. I, when I was growing up, I used to worry a lot about God's will. I used to worry about missing God's will. And my dad said something to me when I was probably, I don't know, 14, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, that freed me up, and, and I believe it could be transformational for somebody in the room today. This is what he said. He said, as long as you want to be in God's will, you can't miss it. As long as you want to be in God's will, you can't miss it. And what that really looks like is, what are you in pursuit of? And so as we talk about decisions today, as we're trying to understand God's will for our life, understanding that not every decision needs to be roll the dice but understand that God does have a plan for your life. What does that plan really look like? What does God care about related to your decisions? Here's the first thing I want you to know today. God cares about who before do. God cares about who 
before do. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are doing. God is concerned more with who you are becoming than what you are doing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this. God's will is for you to be holy. God's will is for you to be holy. The word holy there means to be set apart, to be different from the world, to be different from those around you. The idea that the law in the Old Testament that God gave to his Hebrew people, to his children there, was that they would live by a set of rules that would separate them from the way that the people around them lived. So they came, once they entered the promised land, they came into a land where they were surrounded by other groups of people, other nationalities, and those nationalities had a very specific way that they lived, a way that they operated, the rules that they lived by, the faith that they held to even. And so God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this set of laws so that when people interact with you, they see that there's something different about you than those that you're living around There was this holiness, this set-apartness, this difference among God's people from those that were not God's people. And so 1 Thessalonians says to all of us that God's will is not necessarily about what you're supposed to do, but who you are to be. God's will is for you to be holy. There is nowhere in the Bible that I can find where it specifically says to every individual person, God's will for you is this specific career. There's nowhere I can find it. If you find it, bring it to me because I've been looking for it. But I can't find any place that says God's will for your life is for you to do this specific thing vocationally. But there's lots of places where God centers in and focuses in on who you are becoming, a call to holiness, a call to rid yourself of the things that displease God, a call for you to live in freedom and not bound by addictive behaviors. There's a lot of places where God constantly pushes in and leans into those places in our hearts and in our lives where he's trying to make us into someone rather than cause us to do some specific thing. Now, there are definitely times where God's instructions are very clear, that you are supposed to, the way that you would express your holiness and be more holy and be more God-honoring and be more set apart is that you do these things or you don't do these things. Again, it goes back to some of the laws. Some of the things that you and I are to do or are not to do are actually about freeing us to become holy, to pursue God in ways that we haven't pursued him before, to be set apart, to stand out from those that are around us. And so there are things that we should not do, we should abstain from doing, and there are things that we should very intentionally do because it helps who we are becoming. If I had a big whiteboard up here on the stage today, and I put God and God-likeness and complete and total holiness on one side, and I put just downright dirty, rotten sinner on this side, a lot of our lives is really lived out determining which way our arrow is pointed. It's not really about the decisions that you make. It's just determining, are those decisions continuing to push me in the direction of holiness, in the direction of more like God, in the direction of reflecting the nature and character of God with my life. And so when we come to a decision and we're trying to figure out what we should do, instead of trying to determine what we should do, maybe we should focus more on who we are becoming. God, which way is my arrow pointing? Should I take this job or should I take that job? Well, do either one of them point my arrow in a different direction? 
Because if the, if the direction of this decision takes me away from being more like God, I can promise you the answer from God is no. But if both of them are good decisions, if both of them allow you to continue to pursue God with all of your heart, if both of them allow you the freedom to be more holy, to more and more reflect the nature and character of God, then I think God would say, hey, You could just as well cast lots here. You could just as well roll dice. You do whatever you want to do because both of them allow you to continue to chase after me, to reflect me, to be more holy. Whether you're supposed to marry this person or wait, just be faithful to Christ. Whether you're supposed to stay in this job or take another one, just be faithful to Christ. Whether you're supposed to major in elementary education or pre-med, just be faithful to Christ. Because often we're asking, what does God want me to do And actually, God is more concerned with who we are becoming. He is more concerned with who more than do. And the reason is this, that if you are becoming the right who, you will often choose the right do. If you're becoming the right who, even on your own, without God's help, you will often choose the right do. What to do comes naturally out of the right who. The second thing that God cares about related to the will of God is why before what? Why before what? Not just who before do, but why before what? Motives matter to God. Look at this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. This is the good news translation. He says, you may think everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. You may think that everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. There's often two reasons that we use when making decisions about what we should do. One of those reasons is the real reason. It's like the real motivation we have for making this decision. And then the second reason that we usually contemplate, even in the moment of decision, is the determination of how we'll sell it to everybody. Right? Whether it's good or bad. It doesn't mean that we only do that in bad circumstances. But often we have those two thoughts that run through our mind when we're making decisions. What's the real motivation in my heart? Why do I want to do this? I want to take this job because it's more money. I just want more money. That's not inherently evil. But often the second thing, we're already working out the sales pitch to everybody else. I think, you know, the commute will be shorter and it will just be a better quality of life. And so we work out the talking points of how we're going to sell this decision to other people. But if we are honest with ourselves, there is a real motivating factor for almost every decision that we make. And motives matter. Motives matter. Because not only is God trying to make us into the kind of who that reflects holiness and honors him, he's trying to get at our heart, which is really what's helping to shape that who. Get at our heart. Get at our motives. I mean, Jesus even warned in the Gospels when he was talking to religious people. He said, there are some things that you can do that are righteous things. You can pray for the sick. You can cast out demons. You can heal people. You you can do all kinds of things. But if you're doing them for the wrong reasons, you lose your reward. We don't talk a lot about reward in church. Maybe you've been in an environment where they did talk a lot about reward. We don't talk a lot about reward here at Canton Church. It's just not something that we talk about. We focus as much on the everyday living of life as we do on anything that is to come or anything that's really reflected in reward that you can receive. But we do believe, according to God's word, that there are rewards. There is a story related to the narrative of God that continues beyond your life and mine here on the earth. And Jesus said, listen, the motives that you have and the decisions that you make, 
Those motives are what will help determine whether or not you are rewarded for even the decisions that you make that are right. If your motives are wrong, it doesn't really matter why you chose to do what you chose to do. Motives matter to God. And so it's a constant prayer to God. God, search my heart. Continue to purify me. Continue to pull things out of me that cause me to make decisions based on impure or improper motives because I want to honor you. I want to reflect you. It's who before do and it's why before what that really matters to God. Search my heart, God. Search my heart, God. I want my motives to be right. I want to make decisions out of a right and pure heart so that the who that I'm becoming is really reflective of trying to be holy and set apart and different in a culture that says, no, 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 look out for number one. Be about you and only you. That is the most important thing. And here's why it matters. Because you can't get to the right place when you start with the wrong motives. You can't. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how much you want to. If you start with the wrong motives, if you start with the wrong why, you you just can't ever really get to the right place that you say that's where you want to end up. So you won't do the right what if you're driven by the wrong why. You won't really do the right what thing in your life or in my life if we are driven by the wrong why. We say subconsciously with some of the decisions that we make, some of the things that we do, I, I want to impress other people. I want to impress you. I want you to like me. I want you to validate me. Eventually, I want you to envy me. I want to make decisions that you like about me so much that eventually you want to be me. Whether we say that or not, often those are the motivating factors for why we do some of the things that we do. And we can't ever seem to get to the right place in our lives because the right place is, it's, it's eluding us because we started from the wrong motivation. And so we say, God, search my heart. Pull out of me anything that does not reflect you. It doesn't make me more and more look like you. It doesn't make me holy. We've got to get to the place where we say, God, I want to please you. But if you're really hung up, like if I started talking earlier and I said the will of God, if you're really hung up on trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, Like if you came today because we talked about this series and we said it's going to be help you make decisions and you're trying to figure out, okay, I got some decisions to make. I got some things I need to do and I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And so Jeremy, that's what you said. Like don't change it on me. Like that's what I'm looking for today. Let me give you two quick scriptures that I think will help you in understanding what you're supposed to do with your life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's a little qualification statement for anything that you would do. If you can't do it in the name of Jesus, you shouldn't be doing it. You go, man, that's that's old school. Okay, I'm all right with that. You say, man, that's, no, that's too rigid. Okay. I'm all right with that. No, whatever you do, there's freedom in that. Whatever you do, in the freedom that you have, which we'll re- read in just a second, whatever you do, 
Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you can't do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It says something similar in James chapter 1. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And this is what he writes in chapter 1. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, Jesus, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Whoever looks at Jesus and the freedom that he offers us and continues in the things that they find in Jesus, no matter what they heard, but they're still doing those things, they will be blessed in what they do. Whatever you do, wherever you go, serve Christ there. It's who before do. Whatever you do, you came today because you say, hey, I got some things I got to do. I want to make sure that if I do those things, I'm in the will of God. And I would say, before you worry about the do, worry about the who. Before you worry about what, worry about the why. Because wherever you go, whatever you do, are you doing it all in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you serving Christ there? You say, well, listen, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And I'm, I'm kind of surrounded by just like diapers and poop and just chaos all the time. Serve Christ there. Reflect Christ there. You are right smack dab in the middle of the will of God if you are becoming more and more like Christ. Serve Christ there. You say, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm just like this minimum wage, like fry cook. Like I just make French fries. Listen, don't slight those. French fries are good, all right? But I would say to you, you say, hey, I just, that's, I just, I make minimum wage and I just make french fries or fill in the blank for whatever you do. Serve Christ there. Make the absolute best french fries you can possibly make as a reflection of the holiness that you are in pursuit of. You say, hey, I just wanna be the best fry cook there is because one day I wanna flip burgers and then I wanna move up and be the guy at the cash register and own the store and be the district manager over several stores and eventually open my own restaurant and all of those things could be the right do if you're becoming the right who he said yeah I mean I'm I'm not a minimum wage like I make a pretty good living but my boss is a jerk that's trouble if you're your own boss but anyway you say hey my boss is a jerk if you're becoming the right who the life of holiness the set apartness when everybody else is standing around the water cooler talking about how big a jerk the boss is, you're just serving the boss really well. Loving him with the love of Christ, reflecting the nature and character of God gracefully to someone who probably doesn't deserve grace because you received the grace of God when you probably didn't deserve it either. It's, it's really about who we are becoming. It's about who we are becoming. I've told this story a couple of different times, <clears throat> different places. I actually had somebody from our church take a screenshot of one of the books that I've written, and I had written about it in the book, and they sent it to me and, and, and attached a note about what it meant to them that night when they were reading it. And when I was in college, I had gone to school to be a lawyer. That's what I wanted to do. I loved law, but really I just loved government and history and politics. It's, it's 
you know, it just was what I loved when I was a teenager. And so I, I went to college thinking that's what I wanted to do. But when I was about 14 or 15, I'd really felt the tug of God on my life to do ministry, but I was running away from it, not into a life of sin, but just really in a sense of disobedience because my whole family is in ministry. I, I'm not saying that in an exaggerating way. I mean, literally every member of my family is in ministry. Both sets of grandparents, every aunt and uncle, all my cousins in some form or fashion are in ministry. It was like the family business. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna go do law. I mean, like, I don't, if there's any lawyers in the room, I don't mean this in a bad way. Well, I kind of do, but like, I'm gonna get as far away from like a holy, righteous life. (laughs) I probably shouldn't say that in the second service, but so I went to school to be a lawyer. And I was in school and, you know, pursuing that. And one night I was in a, service where God captured my heart. The details for this point are not specifically important, but I I went down and I prayed in the altar that night and said, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. You tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it, I'm in. And then I went back to my seat and I got my stuff and I went back to my apartment. And the next morning I got up and I went to class. And I left class and I went to my job delivering pizzas. And I did that a couple days in a row, and I'm thinking, like, nothing's changed. Like, what, what's happening here? I don't understand. Like, I thought there was this, like, light shining moment, God over me. It was just ordained. My life shifted in the atmosphere that night. And, like, God, what do you want me to do? And I called my dad. I talk about him a lot. He was a voice of wisdom, is a voice of wisdom in my life. And so I called him, and I was like, well, I don't understand. I thought it should change thought my life should be different. Like I'm just ordering, I mean, delivering pizzas. And this is what he said to me that night. And I would say to you today, he said, Jeremy, just be the best pizza delivery guy you can be. He's like, show up early, stay to the end of your shift or beyond if it's necessary. You got a lot of time in your car while you're delivering pizzas, like put CDs in. Some of you don't even know what those are. That was a technology they had at one point. Put some CDs in, listen to worship music, listen to sermons. Write sermons and preach them to those pizza boxes before you deliver them to those houses. So I was driving around Cleveland, Tennessee, like talking to myself in my car. I'm sure getting crazy, weird, dirty looks at red lights because I'm just preaching the fire down in my Volkswagen Jetta. And this is what he said. When God needs you, he'll know right where to find you. You just be as faithful as you know how to be. And when God needs you, he'll know right where to find you. You know what he was saying to me? He said, Jeremy, it's more important who than do. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are to do. Let me leave you with two closing thoughts. If you're becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. If you are becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. And if you're driven by the right why, God will lead you to the right what. If you're driven by the right why, the right motives, God will lead you to the right what. I want us to pray, close our time today. I recognize here at the beginning of this year, some of you, you're trying to kind of figure it out. This is the year for you. You've decided, like, this is the year you make it right. This is your year. You're gonna get things right. You're gonna be more disciplined. You're gonna make better decisions. Like you're gonna just position yourself so that a year from now, you're not trying to start from scratch again. You're really building off what was the greatest year of your life. I believe that for you. 
But I also believe that if you're trying to do that by just a lot of decisions based on what you're supposed to do, you're missing the point. And I think a year from now, you should look back and go, you know what, I became more like Jesus Christ this year. I became more holy. I reflect the nature of God better. It's not about perfection. It's not even about a pursuit of perfection. It's just which way is your arrow pointed? God, this year I kept my arrow pointed towards you more than I ever have before. I just, I got a little closer and a little closer and a little closer to you because I want to reflect you in greater ways. And so today maybe you would say to me, you know, Jeremy, to start off this first Sunday of 2018, like if it's talking about like becoming the right who, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe, maybe you have at some point in your past, but you know you walked away from that. You just said, hey, I, it's not even about whether or not. Like, I just know, like, I turned my back on God. I, I, and I need to make it right today. I need to recommit my life to Christ today. I want to start this year by making the best decision possible and become more of who God wants me to be. In just a second, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. But for those in this room that say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not even the, the issue here but I just want to reflect him more. I want want to live a holier life. I want my arrow to be pointed towards him and I want to keep moving closer and closer and closer to him. I want my motives to be pure. I want my heart to be right because I really want to get to the right places because I'm grounded in who he is and motivated by the right things. If you bow your head and close your eyes, nobody's looking around right here as we just respond to God in this moment. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I'm one of those people that just needs to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to accept him as Lord and Savior of my life. I need to admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want him to lead and guide and direct me from this day forward. Maybe I've never prayed this prayer. Maybe I prayed it a a long time ago, but I know I turned away from God and walked away. And I just want to recommit my life. I just want to declare that I'm in. I'm pointing my arrow back towards God and I'm in in pursuit of him and his holiness. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, it's not a salvation issue for me today, but I want to become more of the right who. I want to live a holy life. I want my heart to reflect pure motives. I really want to be in the right places because I'm in pursuit of the right things. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Lots of hands today. God, we love you today. I pray right now for every single person that's lifted their hand to acknowledge their need for salvation. They've, just said, they've said today, we want you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They acknowledge their need for you to lead and guide and direct them from this point forward, to forgive their sins so that they would have an eternity spent with you from this day forward. It's not about getting to eternity. It's living in eternity right now in pursuit and in relationship with you. And so, God, they've chosen you today. And, God, we celebrate with them. It's why we exist. And so, God, we celebrate today those people that have acknowledged you. And God, also we lift up all of those hands, dozens and dozens of hands today that went up to say, we want to live holier lives. We want to be the kind of who people that you are calling to reflect you more, to be set apart, to be different from those around us. God, help us today to reflect that, to live that out more than we ever have. God, let our hearts and our motives reflect you. God, we thank you for all that you want to accomplish in and through us. Let this be our best year yet, not because we do a lot more right things, but because we are the right kind of people in pursuit of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.